Welcome back to another uh, edition of the People of PS podcast. I think we're in for a real treat today. Uh, we have E.B. Harvey with us. Um, I, I was surprised when E.B. told me that she's been here for nine years. Yeah, I've been here. What feels yeah. like, it doesn't feel like it's been nine years, but looking back on it, like the majority of my adult professional life has been You're here. a wee child when you first came. All right, totally. so, yeah, so go, go ahead, give us the the five-minute autobiography. Okay. How did you find yourself here at Presbyterian School? That's a great question. So um, I'm from Houston, Texas, born and raised. I went to Hunters Creek Elementary School and then through fifth grade and then for sixth grade. Right, so for those of us who are geographically oh, okay. challenged. Spring Branch ISD okay. in Memorial, All right, gotcha. by Memorial okay. Park. Um, I went to St. John's for sixth grade through ninth grade. Both of my brothers were at St. John's. And then I left after ninth grade to go to Memorial High School, which was also in Spring Branch ISD. So it was all the kids that I went to elementary school with, plus a whole bunch of others. Um, Graduated from Memorial, uh, did not have the option to go anywhere besides the University of Texas. Um, Every single person in my family since literally forever. This sounds like there may have been some therapy uh, involved. (laughs) No, but there probably should have been. Um, My both my parents, both my brothers, my both my grandparents, um, my aunt, aunt, uncle, cousins, every, I mean, everybody everybody always went to UT. Yeah. So um, at Texas, I was kind of all over the place. I like did not know what I wanted to study. In high school, I was always a big math science person, um, really did not enjoy history, much to my father's chagrin. He studied history in college. And um, Started out as a biology major, then became a chemistry major, then I was an archaeology major, um, and I was like, okay, what am I like? What am I going to do with any of these jobs? I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to go to med school. Um, and I'd always been really into photography. When I was in high school, I was the photo editor of our yearbook, and I was like, what about photojournalism? My parents refused to pay for art school. They said, if you go to Texas, well, wherever you go to school, you were not paying for art school. So I was like, photojournalism, it's like, it's like the best of both worlds. I can, be an, I can be an artist and I can also be, you know, somewhat of an academic. And um, journalism required me to do a lot of writing. Um, even though I was also taking pictures, I had to do a ton of writing. And uh, so I started writing and I started to really enjoy the, like, human aspect of it. We're getting to know people, getting to know stories, like, actually having to go around Austin and, like, hunt for stuff and, like, dig about stuff and I think it kind of brought me out of my shell in a, in a way in that I had to really feel more comfortable talking to strangers so that was a cool thing and I knew from the beginning I knew I made the deal with my parents if I go to UT I'm studying abroad my junior year and so my junior year I'm studying photojournalism I had the amazing opportunity to study in Florence for my first semester and in Barcelona for my second semester wow. And both of those places, if you know anything about them, and this will lead probably to my role here at Presbyterian School, but I studied art and art history. And like I said before, I I was not into history ever in high school. But then when I started to learn about the, like, history through art, it just kind of opened this totally new world to me. It was like, I can learn about other cultures and other places through 
looking at art and talking about art, and it was just like this kind of mind-blowing, revelatory thing. So when I came back to so uh, let me so let me yeah. do you do you think that that was made even more meaningful because you were you were there yes yes in the in the place totally and more more to come on that too but yeah. like the experience of seeing something in person versus looking at it in a textbook or yeah. looking at it on a screen um you can feel the you can feel the importance of something when you're with it and surrounded by hundreds of other people trying to also like cram together to look at that same object it's like really really amazing and powerful. So um, did that whole year abroad, uh, made some lifelong friends, um, traveled a ton throughout Europe. And I, I will say that that probably is what um, instilled in me this like very deep love of travel. Um, I have since been to like 43 or 44 countries or something like that. And I've spent a lot of time um, living abroad and traveling abroad. But um, came back from Europe my junior year, uh, added an art history minor onto my photojournalism degree, um, worked for the Daily Texan on their newspaper staff, um, really enjoyed that. Ended up being, a, like I could have graduated a semester early, but I was like, I like this school thing. This, this is like pretty fun. <laughs> like like I'm, gonna, I'm gonna stick with this for a little bit. So I took another year um, and took a bunch of grad level cl classes um, at the Harry Ransom Center, which I don't know if you're familiar with the Harry Ransom Center at UT, but it's um, like one of the most important uh, like artifact libraries in really the world, but it has the first photograph ever taken. Um, it has one of the original Gutenberg Bibles, it has the first moving image ever taken. So it was like a really cool opportunity that I got to take these very cool classes with these grad level students um, learning about photography and videography so and I didn't, things. I didn't know about the archaeology foray, but that's, that. I mean, at least at least philosophically, intellectually, that has kind of stuck with you, yeah, hasn't it? for sure. Yeah, I love learning about artifacts and yeah. old stuff. It's so cool. All right, so you finish at UT. Yeah, so I finish at UT. I come, I come back to Houston for a short amount of time, just like, what am I doing with my life? I don't I don't think I want to be a newspaper reporter. I, I don't think that that's what I want to do. And then kind of all these weird things happened. Um, like this, there was this one week, I had, I'd been back in Houston for a little bit of time. I was working at Houston's as a waitress. I was trying, I was living with my parents. I was like, I'm gonna pay back all my student loans. <laughs> I paid them off in a year. Um, and then like halfway into it, I was like, you know what? I want to go travel some more. I want to go live abroad. Um, I started looking into this program called Princeton in Asia, and it's basically like a Peace Corps for Asia, specifically college graduates. It's like they take like 70% Ivy League graduates. I and at that point, had you traveled much in Asia or had all your travel been in Europe? Um, I went the summer after my freshman year of college to Thailand with a group, and I led all of these high school kids on a photography trip. I was in Thailand for two months and we did like a two month photography trip. Yeah, it was really cool. We like slept on the floor, literally worked in rice paddies, like pulling, I mean, it was, it was like literally life changing in that I had never seen people living in that kind of poverty so happy and so with so much gratitude for life. And it was like, it was kind of a 
perspective changing. So I'm back in Houston and I'm like trying to figure out what to do with my life and I'm like, I'd like to go back to Asia. I applied to this Princeton in Asia thing. I get through three rounds of interviews. They fly me out to New Jersey to have my final interview and I don't get it. And I'm like totally devastated. And then within the week of getting the, the rejection, um, Clark Boswell, Francis Boswell, who worked here for a really long time, he reaches out to me and he's like, hey, I'm teaching English in Seoul, South Korea, and we're looking for a teacher at our school. Would you have any interest in moving here in a month? And I was like, uh, yeah, I would have lots of interest in moving there. I knew nothing about South Korea. I had no interest in going to South Korea. So how did you know Clark? We went to middle school together. We huh. went to St. John's together. And um, he is still in Asia. He's literally graduated from LSU and has lived in Asia this entire time. Yeah. Um, so I moved there and um, start teaching English in South Korea. And it was so much fun. I was there for two years. I traveled all around Asia. Um, and then I'm, I come back to Houston after that experience, like not sure what I wanted to do with my life either. I meet um, my now partner, Matt, but I was not interested in getting in a relationship. I was like 25. And I moved to New York City because I was really interested in homebrewing beer. I like got into that when I was in South Korea. And so I moved to... Um, I mean, that's so cliche. Yeah, I mean, everybody, right? so, everybody who goes to South Korea gets interested in homebrewing totally. beer, right? Like, so <laughs> this has got to be the most eclectic five-minute autobiography ever. Well, I think this is why you hired me, probably, <laughs> at the same time. Um, for the record. Yeah, for the record. That's... I did not hire you because you can homebrew beer, although there are probably members of our community who are very interested in that. Yeah, for sure. So you go to New York. So I moved to New York to work for a beer company. I am working, I'm doing sales, I'm doing brewing, I'm like literally everything you can imagine from from the perspective of working for a small beer company, and I wasn't making enough money to live in New York, and I started nannying, and I made so much more money nannying. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know about this homebrewing thing, but I was like, but I've always worked with kids. I, I skipped over that, but in high school, I always worked with kids. I always coached, I always babysat. I, and so I was like, maybe I'm good with kids. I taught in Korea, like I'm good at teaching. I like teaching. Maybe this is what I should do. Um, Matt, who I mentioned earlier, he and I met before I moved to New York. A year into my time in New York, we started officially dating long distance. And I was like, well, I guess if I'm going to have a relationship with this guy who's the greatest guy I've ever met, I got to move back to Texas. And so I started applying to grad school. And um, in August of 2013, I started grad school at the University of Houston for in education. And I was working there a year. And Francis Boswell was like, you should think about teaching at Presbyterian. And when I was growing up, Presbyterian only went to fifth grade. And I knew a lot of people at St. John's who had gone to Presbyterian through fifth grade. And that, but I didn't really know very much about it. And I still thought at that time it was called First Pres. I thought the school was called First Pres. And I'm like, Presbyterian, OK. And so I came and I had an interview. I want to say the first interview I had was with Janet Fox. Right. And then I had an interview with Christy. And then I met you. Mm -hmm. And you said, you're like, I really, you know, like, you have this, like, eclectic life experience. The only opening we have right now is Spanish. Would you want to teach Spanish? And I'm like, well, I 
can speak Spanish. Like, I'll teach, sure, I'll teach Spanish. But I think you knew at the time that um, Think Make Talk, the, the class that I have right. now helped co-create and um, teach, that that was going to be something that was going to happen. And so I think the, the intention was I was going to teach Spanish for a year or two, and then this Think Make Talk thing with Gail Kirkconnell was going to start happening. Yeah, that's that's... That's really a fascinating journey. And I, I will say with, you know, getting to Think, Make, Talk, I remember really, I guess, starting my first year here. So Gail mm-hmm. was my daughter Camille's kindergarten teacher, and we came here when Camille was in kindergarten. So our first year of kindergarten, Camille had Gail. And sort of midway through the year, Gail started talking to me about doing something different. I think she had taught kindergarten for maybe 20 years and she had, she had a ton of experience with uh, gifted, teaching gifted, yeah. training in gifted. And, and uh, she said, Was there, is there any way we could build some of these techniques and some of these ideas into a program here at Presbyterian School? And so it's one of those great moments where, you know, I, I tell her, be careful what you wish for with, yeah. with me. You know, if you make a compelling enough case for it, you might get it. Right. And so, yeah, like I think year three, maybe, um, I, I called Gail in and I said, okay, yeah, yeah. let's let's do that. And she yeah. came back to my office like every week for a month. It's like, are you are you really sure we're going to do this? Yeah. And so, yeah, then soon after that. So when you when you got here, what was what was so the year after Spanish when you moved in and you're partnering with Gail? What was sort of what was the job then, and, and talk to us, I mean, I guess kind of, you know, kind of quickly, like what, how did the job move to really, I guess, before this year, because I do want to talk about this year, because it's very different this year right. intentionally. Yeah, um, so Think Make Talk always started with the philosophy that kids need more opportunities to think creatively and abstractly and outside the box, because so much of traditional school, right, is you're, you're told something and then for lack of a better word, you need to kind of regurgitate it. Like, like learn it, retain it, reproduce it. And I think what was really exciting and different about what we were trying to do with Think, Make, Talk is that we were asking kids to um, come up with ideas based on their own life experience and like retrieve that experience to um, think creatively and brainstorm. And then the, you know, the next part of it is create some sort of authentic um, response to a problem or a prompt or a question, make something um, that could be in the form of uh, physically making an object with craft supplies. That could be writing, that could be uh, making a speech, that could be making a video, that could be, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that that could be. And then having a presentation talking about your ideas, getting in front of an authentic audience, your peers, receiving feedback, um, and then getting, um, you know, hopefully some constructive criticisms, yeah. constructive feedback, and finding ways to make your ideas even better next time, like going forward. And I, I think there's a lot of um, emphasis on like doing your personal best. I don't think every kid tries to do their personal best every single time, but I think that um, what happens a lot is kids who don't try their best realize at the end of the process, like, man, I could have done better. I, mm. I could have, I could have tried harder. I could have made this a little bit cooler because they look at what their peers are doing and they're like, man, that was awesome. And I just like, kind of didn't really go for it. Like yeah. I could have. And I, I think that that is kind of the point. I don't know if that's answering your question. No, it is. I mean, it, I don't, <clears throat> I don't know that I've ever told the story of the origin of Think Make Talk, but yeah. 
we were uh, a team of, of us was out in the Bay Area in San Francisco looking at schools before we built Founders Hall. Mm-hmm. And every place we went, it was like buzzword central. Like we'd go to a school and they'd talk about the maker movement. And then we'd go to a school and they'd talk about project-based learning. And the next school would talk about problem-based learning and inquiry. And, and I'm, I'm sitting in the back of this minivan <laughs> with uh, Onizim Mouton, who is Tony Mouton's husband. Onizim is an architect, but he's, he's a builder. He's just this incredibly, you know, eclectic thinker. And... He said, basically, now he's also a Cajun, and yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to try to replicate the accent, but he, he said to me, basically, it's like all of this is about like giving kids time mm-hmm. to think yeah. about their own ideas, what they're interested in, then make stuff, mm-hmm. and then talk about it. Right. And that's where in the back of the Sienna minivan in the Bay Area is where think make – and you've, you've articulated it much much better than I just did, but really, that, that's, it is what it is, right? It's thinking, making, and talking, and finding, I, I like you said, finding authentic places to do all three of those things. Okay, so you're, you and Gail are building this, and you're, yeah. you know, so you're working together, what, six or seven years probably, right? Yeah, so and this the, is my ninth year at Presbyterian. I was in Spanish for two, so this yeah. is our seventh year doing this. Yeah, so and in the midst of all that yeah. is where we do this, which gets back to the conversation from before about your time in Europe. Yeah, We're doing this in the neighborhood right. that we're in, but right. particularly with the museum. And so this year, talk about talk a bit more specifically about what you're doing with Think Make Talk in the museum this year. Okay, can I can I like maybe rewind just a little bit? Absolutely. Okay, um, so during my time at St. John's, I had this very amazing teacher. He was when I was in sixth grade, so I'm 12. He was 23 years old, Marty Thompson. He had just um, graduated from college. He was teaching history at St. John's. Um, we, you know, he was he was my my advisor and he was my teacher, and I just. Like, I thought he was so cool, and I, I was like, oh, yeah. Um, so funny, he did not turn you on to history, though. <laughs> he did not turn me on to history, but he, but he turned me on to other things. And I know, um, full disclosure, I know Marty pretty well. Marty yeah. and I have served on some committees together in the association, and then he was uh, he was a, a mentor for my own daughter who, who went to St. John's. So, yeah. go, yeah, go ahead. Marty's so, a great guy. So I left St. John's, kind of, kind of forgot about Marty, to be honest, but I always remembered that Marty really loved this band, he had these band posters all over his classroom. Um, there was a little little band called Fish with a P H I S H, and I really got into Fish. Um, I, w- I don't know if it was his fault or, um, but I started getting into Fish in high school, and my first Fish shows, I see Marty Thompson. I'm in Colorado and I see him, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's my sixth grade history teacher. I go up to him. I was about to leave for South Korea. I was like you're responsible for my love of fish. I'm going to go be a teacher. Anyway, so I come back from Korea and he had started this program called Third Rock Travel. So I'm in grad school in Houston. He's like, do you want to come and be a chaperone? The, the whole idea was that we were taking high school seniors to Europe for two and a half, three weeks. And so I was a chaperone. I, I did that for six summers for him. Um, so we got to be really close. We, we spent tons of time together planning these trips, tons of, of time together in Europe, doing all these amazing things together, taking high school kids who had never left, never even left America to you know 12 different cities in Europe in three weeks. And um, 
during this time, Marty created a position for himself at St. John's, Director of Experiential Education. I'm like, experiential education, that's what I like. Yeah. That's the cool thing. That's, that's the most important thing that you can do is have an experience and learn mm -hmm. from your experience. That's why I love travel so much. That's why I love art so much. So anyway, um, he was kind of a, I would say a jumping off point or a catalyst for me yeah. um, with this Think Make Talk thing. So Think Make Talk is about experience, but um, to the museum. So I want to say five years ago. So seven years into Think Make Talk, five years ago, I can't remember if I approached you or if you approached me, but um, it became very apparent very quickly. Like we are within, you know, a stone's throw of the Museum of Fine Arts. Very few ideas at the school originate with me. Okay, so I'll take the credit. Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so we're right across the street from the museum. Um, I, I get this idea in my head that we need to have our kids in the museum more frequently than they're already going. Because, you know, at the time, you know, maybe groups of kids are going once or twice a year. But that's such a missed opportunity because we're right across the street. And what I'm doing in Think Make Talk is asking kids to think creatively and abstractly and make things and then talk about it. So like how can we find a way to combine selfishly my love of art history and experiential education and what I'm doing at Presbyterian School in Think Make Talk. So five years ago we started it. We started it in third grade um, where we would go to the museum once a month. And that first year that we did it, it was kind of it was kind of radical and kind of cool, but like each of the three third grade classes got one piece of art, and we would go and look at that one piece of art every single month. Then we would have like a secondary piece of art that we'd look at as well, but like it was like a in-depth, year-long study of this one single piece of art among other pieces of art. So that was really cool. And we would do these different experiments where we would go and we would, um, kind of dissect different parts of, of the piece. We would learn the history of it. We would write about it. We would sketch it. We would um, imagine we were inside of the painting. We would learn about the history of the artist who made it and, and you know what it would be like to have lived in the place where the artist was living at the time that they made the work of art. It was really cool. Um, and then we continued doing that with third grade until this year when last year, I think I came to you and I said, hey, this stuff that we're doing in third grade is really, really cool and really special, and I think we should do it in more grades. And so you're like, yes, okay, yes, all right, yes, and let's yep. roll with it. So now in third, fourth, and fifth, um, we go to the museum about, each, each kid goes about every third week. Unfortunately, the museum is only open Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, from 11 to the end of the day, but that's not a whole lot of time in our school day. So third, fourth, and fifth, um, we go every three weeks, but in the between time that we're not going, we are still talking about art. We're having like all these incredible conversations. I think a lot of them are um, really important, really eye-opening conversations, getting to talk about the world and culture and history and um, big ideas. We've been talking about civil rights and women's rights and a lot of talk about wars and the history of the United States and the history of the United States in um, in the larger global context, um, learning about... Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought you said you didn't like history. Look, yeah. at, look at all no, that. No, I do now. I history, really like right? it now. It's really cool. So um, <laughs> in the in the midst of all that, did, did you also, did, are you also a museum fellow? Did you go through that, through that training? Um, yes. So I am technically a Museum of Fine Arts teaching fellow. Because um, I'm thinking about these these like the idea of spending a year mm -hmm. 
in one work of art yeah. and the skill set that you need as right. a teacher yeah. to unpack. I had a I had a grandparent stop me a couple of weeks ago because part of Grandparents Day here was, hey, go do a docent led you know tour of the museum, and all the docents were our parents, right? right? <clears throat> and and this grandfather stopped me and, and he said, man, our our docent was so good. We were looking at modern and contemporary artwork, and I, I had no appreciation. Right. For it, but a good a good docent, you know, really can unpack that for you. But the the docents aren't all museum fellows. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, what's so what's the skill set? Like, how how did that fellowship program sort of hone interests that you already had, or, or equip you to be able to, you know, give kids the opportunity to see see this artwork in so many different ways? Um, I think the biggest thing is just being able. To to ask the right questions. Yeah. And but the thing is is that the right questions are the simplest questions. Yeah. And giving kids and adults, it doesn't matter who you are, time with a piece of art. Because as soon as you like if you're walking through a museum and you stop in front of something, you're like, oh this is pretty, and then you walk on you keep moving. If you stop and ask just one question literally just one question that you really need to ask. It's called a visual thinking strategy. They came up with it at Harvard and it's it's pretty Harvard. What is going on here? <laughs> literally that's the question. Yeah. You ask that question and you can expound upon what everyone is thinking and saying because it's like what's going on here? What makes you say that? Yeah. And kids uh, every single time can get to what is going on here. Yeah and they can figure it out. It's just, it's more about using easy language for them to understand and then getting them to be as descriptive as possible instead of saying it, you know, like be specific, like what is it that you're talking about specifically here? Mm -hmm. um, and I think giving kids enough time with something to really figure it out on their own and just kind of being the person that kind of like keeps poking a little bit, like, okay, what else? Yeah. What else? Yeah, it really Give, is. Tell me a little bit more. It is. A, it's about the questions, yeah, right? Right. And so, I, what we hope through—I mean, we hope a lot of things through the Think Make Talk paradigm. But what we, I think, ultimately hope is that kids are becoming better at asking questions yeah. and not just about trying to find the quote-unquote right answer. Right. You know, which is a—that's a bit of a paradigm shift for old people like me, mm -hmm. because the school that I went to you know, the educational system that I was a part of was all about the answers. You know, right. you got to find the right answer. And, and so this paradigm that says, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, answers are important, right. but, you know, the ability to ask, you know, really probing and insightful questions, that, mm -hmm. that might be an even more important skill. Right. Uh, at almost every single work of art that we ever go to, I ask my students to write down at least three or four questions that they have at the, at the end of what we've learned about it. And I try not to tell them the answer yeah. really until the very, very end. And the, and the answer is not even important at that point because yeah. it's like, what have you been able to um, gather and, and figure out just by looking closely and wondering? And, and that's, that's the important thing. So you, so you have these guys throughout sort of the upper elementary, you yes. know. So what's your hope? You know, what's your sort of exit strategy for them? Like, what do you hope that these guys leave and go to middle school, you know, with, you know, whether it's skills or it's, you know, perspectives? What what would be, you know, what would you consider a successful exit for your kids who have been with you for, you know, three, three or four years? 
Um, that's a great question. I, I sincerely hope that they realize that you don't have to be an artist to love and appreciate art. I mean, that's, that's my, my huge goal. And I tell them that at the beginning of the year, I'm like, there's so many different types of art, architecture, graphic design, um, engineering, cooking, music, perform. I mean, there's just so many different types of art. Um, and even if you don't fall into any of those traditional art categories as, as a, as a player, if you will, you can love it and appreciate it and learn about the world through it. And I think that there's just, um, I hope that kids realize that there are so many different ways to learn and experience the world. Um, and it's not just in a book and it's not just from a teacher. And so much of like the, the best parts of my life have been when I actually get to go out and do something. And I think that there's kind of this emphasis in our society and our culture, like the only important thing is making money. So you have money to spend money on stuff when like the most valuable thing that there is in life is experience yeah. and having experiences with people you care about, but also like in new places and learning about the world around us. And so I hope, I would hope that any student that goes through Presbyterian school um, leaves with an appreciation for the world yeah. and like wants to know more about it and is curious about it, wants to go out and see as much of it as they possibly can. Uh, that's great. I had a great mentor. Uh, he was actually a, a guy that I coached baseball with. And we, I remember we, we were driving to play at this, you know, sort of far away school and, you know, we made a left turn and a right turn and a left turn in the middle of nowhere. And there's the field. And I remember I said, man, you're, you're pretty smart and find this field. He said, no, I'm not smart. I've just been here before. <laughs> so the, you know, the, the power of experience, there's, there yeah. really is no better teacher than experience, no. right? Yeah. So you're traveling and you're, you know, looking at artwork, you're, you appreciate that these experiences are teaching you and shaping you. And yeah. So how do we pass that off to yeah. third, fourth and fifth graders, right? Well, and another thing that just made me think of is like, the more I know, the more I want to know. Yeah. And I, I hope that's part of what they gather from this too. Like the more you read, the more you want to read. Yeah. And the more art that you see, the more art you want to see. And the more places you go, the more places you want to go. And so wouldn't, hope wouldn't that be great if that's what ultimately what every fifth grader goes into middle school with is yeah. this idea that the more I know, the more I want to know. That's yeah. great. That would be cool. Well, Evie, I think you're a great example of be careful what you wish for <laughs> because I think you are really living into a lot of hopes and dreams that, that you've, at, at the, I think, at the right time articulated to me. Yeah. And, and I think it's the work that you're doing is really phenomenal. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad um, that you had the chance to share it with us. Thank you. My, so my daughter is coming to school oh, here that's next right. year. And when Mama. I was here for the, um, like the pre-K-4 visit, um, Christy was like, well, one of, one of the parents who is here today is, her child is, is, uh, is, com is hopefully coming to school here, but she's a teacher here. And, and I, I, someone was like, well, what is it that you do? And I was like, well, I'm just going to explain it to all of you instead of just like turning. And I explained it and I was like, I really do feel like I have the very best job at this school because it's so fun for me. Like I'm constantly learning and I, I feel like there's not that many jobs in the world where you get to like learn about the stuff that you care about and then disseminate and pass on that knowledge and be enthusiastic about it for other people. And so 
feel like I have a great job. And I yeah. appreciate you letting me have it. No, for sure. I mean, I think the people that are that I've met in my career who are the most fulfilled in their own careers would say exactly what you just said. It's like I'm in a career where I'm constantly learning. Yeah. And I am valued, appreciated, and rewarded even for continuing to learn. I remember I talked to this engineer uh, who loved engineering because he said basically the reward in engineering for solving a problem is getting a bigger problem to solve yeah. and a more diverse you know, set of skills is cultivated as a result of that. For so sure. yeah. Yeah. We're, we're glad you're here, Evie, and Thanks. glad that you're, I mean, you're really going to you know, first we're in the mission is family. We're going to have yeah. family here next yeah. year. So thanks a lot. She's so excited. Great. I'm excited too. Awesome. Good, right. good. Thank you.